Welcome to Man Reads Monday. I am Aaron Ventura. He is Jacob Rush. Let's get back to work. Jacob, what are we working through today? All right, today we are in chapter six and seven of Joe Rigany. Joe Rigany's? I, sorry. sorry Rigany no. Jiggany. Rigany. Uh, actually, really funny. Not relevant. One time on Wikipedia, because uh, Joe had helped Shane and Shane write some songs for their Psalms album. But on Wikipedia, it said Joe Bigney. <laughs> so I went in and I fixed it. So you're that's, welcome, Joe. That's his alias. <laughs> Joe Bigney. Wait, <laughs> how do you edit something on Wikipedia? I think you just have to have an account because it's all crowd-sourced. Okay. And I think you can just do it. Okay. For some reason, I thought there were other hoops you had to jump through in At order least... to be a... A chief editor, but that's true. Maybe I don't know. It was a few years ago, so maybe things have changed. Maybe they've okay. tightened it up. But yeah. uh, anyways, this is Joe Rigney's "More Than a Battle: How to Experience Victory, Freedom, and Healing from Lust." And we are in the wider war and the deeper war today. Mm. And man, this is some really uh, good stuff we're going mm. to be getting into. So, starting in uh, chapter six, he says, "It's easy to become myopic about sexual sin and pornography." One's spiritual life ends up revolving around the degree of success or failure or temptation in this one area. And then he mm. says later on, fixating on sexual sin in isolation from other sins and temptations will leave you stuck in cycles of failure. Often other sins are feeding lust. And really this chapter and the next one are about trying to figure out what some of those other uh, sins may be that are contributing to uh, sexual sin. Um, what were your thoughts on this chapter? Yeah, I think, you know, really important coming at the end of our discussion from last time about the longer war, yeah. right? Seeing this as, um, yeah, obviously long-term longevity and some of the things required of that patience, endurance. And then again, I think a sense of humor, seeing yourself, taking yourself less seriously, not taking sin less seriously, but taking yourself less seriously. And I think that's a big part of that. So I think there's uh, as I've uh, thought about this, I think there's two things that in this wider war. One is basically like chronicling your situation, right? Which he gets in to talk about yeah. Pallison's suggestion of keeping a a diary, or a journal, yeah. um, a temptation. Guys don't t keep diaries; That's they right. keep journals. They journal, or they uh, <laughs> they I don't know, Google Doc. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, you know, cr so chronicling the si the circumstances, yeah. and then broadening your horizons of attack. Yeah. So talking about the sins that are connected, but then also what are the other bodily elements involved? Yeah. Because like we've talked about, we are embodied souls. We're not just, you know, spiritual brains in a vat. Um, your diet, your exercise, um, your external circumstances, while not excuses for your sin, can have a lot of explanatory power. And sometimes uh, a fight can turn for the good by an adjustment of these very practical things. Yeah. And just to give us a kind of sample example, let me read um, this description. I guess it's from David Pallison's book, this guy named Tom. So I think it's just like a fictional story, but I imagine some people will resonate with this. So it says, uh, he tells the story of an unmarried man named Tom who throws a self-described temper tantrum in the form of pornography and masturbation on Friday nights because his single friends are out on dates with their girlfriends and his married friends are home with their wives. Mm. In other words, sexual immorality may be grabbing the headlines in Tom's life, but entitlement, self-pity, 
and anger at God are actually what's fundament, uh, what's funding the newspaper. Mm. He's using this newspaper headline uh, kind of metaphor. And these sins are rooted in a more fundamental distortion. Since Tom basically views his relationship with God in transactional terms, if Tom attempts to obey God, God should give him a wife. When God fails to keep his end of the bargain, Tom acts out. These subtler and hidden sins have given pornography a foothold in Tom's life. Yeah. Uh, and so I think this is this is a huge deal. And um, so one of the things that I do with all the guys that I disciple, I have made this. Uh, it's behind me. I have made this thing called a men's discipleship inventory, and it's just mm. a series. There's five sections and five questions each, and it's just a one-page thing. And it, um, I just walk through the questions on this sheet because if uh, pretty much every guy is fighting this battle mm-hmm. in, to one degree or another, right. but my goal in doing this, so if they come in with their main presenting issue in counseling terms, that's, that's the word. There's the presenting issue. It might be, um, uh, my wife caught me looking at pornography or I'm having uh, mm. trouble overcoming masturbation and I just need help. So they come to your office, you meet with them. Uh, I, I typically spend very little time, at least in those first few meetings, uh, dealing with, head on with that sin. I'm mm. typically just asking a lot of questions, both for me to get a accurate perspective of what's actually going on so I can help them, right? Yeah. The, the doctor asks it asks questions, you know, do you smoke? Hurt? Have you been sexually active? <laughs> yeah. All these different things, because they need to know that it might be pertinent to helping them. But it's also to give them a broader vision for their whole life. So uh, some of them th- maybe they feel really guilty because they've overeaten and overspent and then they're just feeling really bad about themselves. So they use pornography as this kind of lever to pull out of frustration. Right. And so, yeah, you need to deal with that. But there's actually these other sins that really need to be uh, identified and dealt with. And that's really what this whole chapter is about, identifying what are those things. He says, um, widening the battle is fundamentally about... uh, Uh, widening the battle is fundamentally about being proactive. Mm. How are we going on the offensive to root out the other sins that lead us along the path of sexual sin? And then uh, this is where he kind of punts to those uh, 10 questions from David Pallison. What did you think of these um, questions, Jacob? I really think, again, if the question is trying to understand how... um, this particular temptation of lust sits in the broader net of these other sins, yeah. then things that may seem um, unimportant, like time of day, <laughs> um, actually begin to make a lot more sense, yeah. right? Um, what, like, again, that's the first one. Where and when were you tempted? So most people probably would say they're tempted to sexual sin when they're alone, when they're by themselves, right? Right. It's not when I'm walking down the street in a crowded uh, yeah. room of people. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, okay. Uh, and, and if you are, if that is where you are tempted, then you should ask yourself, there's there's other problems there, Yeah. right? But that's helpful. That's helpful information to know um, both, okay, if I want to try and fight this, maybe I should plan time to not be at home so much when no one's yeah. there. Or if I know I'm tempted in the morning, Right, that I should make early morning engagements to try to find um, a way to do it. And the point of doing that is not simply just, you know, 
getting out of that so that you're not actually fighting, right? So people yeah. are saying, oh, you're just avoiding. You're not actually fighting the sin. The, but the point is to say, to situate it rightly in the broad context. Yeah. I like that he gives uh, uh, a reference from Lewis at the beginning of yes, this. Yeah. In one of his letters, C.S. Lewis listed four factors in his life that disposed him toward lust, sadness, disgruntlement, bodily weariness, and tea. These, he said, were the great dangers. Yeah. And sometimes we don't even realize until we take a step back, because we're so myopic, because yeah. we're so frustrated and, and ashamed of that particular uh, manifestation of the sin, that we don't take a step back and think, oh, maybe if I had one less drink, I would be, right? I'm that self-control or that circumstance would translate into me being able to avoid masturbation or, or avoid pornography. Yeah, this really gets back to that elephant rider thing. It's like, figure figure out what are you feeding your elephant <laughs> that's causing it to buck you like a like a bronco kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I thought the, the C.S. Lewis thing is is interesting and and we should ask ourselves, okay, how would we answer it? Um, do we even know what the other circumstances are or have we always just thought of it in terms of I'm just having sexually uh, immoral thoughts right. and it's all in the head when we're sometimes ignoring the elephant that we're riding and it's taking us um, all over the place. Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be worthwhile just to read through those 10 questions right. real fast. Jacob, do you want to just, just take us through those? Yep, exactly. So uh, question one, where and when were you tempted? What time of day was it? Right. Two, how much sleep had you had recently? What about exercise? What had you eaten that day? That seems like a strange question, right? Mm -hmm. Are you blaming lust on food? Yeah. It's like, well. Uh, three, what pressures or anxieties had you been dealing in the days leading up to it? Four, how were your relationships with your wife or girlfriend, with other men, with your kids or parents? Five, how are things at work? Any unusual pressures? Six, any other sins and temptations come to the surface? Entitlement, envy, anger at God, anger at your wife, idleness, laziness, lowness. Seven, how did you resist the temptation? Eight, what kind of temptation was it? Be specific. Nine, does this sin feel familiar? If so, how far back does it go? Do you remember the first time you experienced it? Does it connect to any memories in your life? And then 10, what happened in the aftermath? Yeah. And he says, don't write a dissertation, just have enough information to be able to discuss it with other men in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a really useful tool. So uh, if a guy is in general um, doing well and we're kind of what I would say at the maintenance stage of mm. dealing with less, the way that Pastor Doug talks about this is, you know, if sin is like weeds, sometimes they're just all overgrown, you can't even see because they're so high. Right. So you, you pull those out, you do a total, you're down to the ground. That, yep. That'd be the, you, you've confessed all your sins, et cetera. Right. And then every day you got to go out and you look pluck. and uh, there's going to be sins to pluck up. That's just how right. it is. And so this is really useful, I think, especially for someone who's at that stage to be able to pinpoint, okay, what is it? Um, and mm. I'll just give you a few examples that, that I, I wrote down. So, uh, for example, if you're tempted to masturbate in the morning, what if you challenge yourself to get up and the first thing you do is you turn on some Psalms and you do 50 push-ups or however many push-ups right, right. uh, you can do, or you go running and then you 
get your body hot and then you take a cold shower. So right. for some people, it's like when I'm in the shower, this is this is the the place that I feel tempted. And right. uh, you got to remember that brain brain plasticity thing. Mm-hmm. You've been conditioning yourself to right. I'm naked, hot water in the shower, mm-hmm. and then this is what I want to do. So you actually have to find ways to to win, yep. um, and that goes beyond just the mind. Or uh, let's say you're tempted towards lust during the kind of post-lunch afternoon time. You just had a big meal. Yeah, right, right. and you're, it's kind of like that fuzzy I want a nap thing or you're going for the second mm-hmm. or third cup of coffee. Maybe that's when you need to schedule meetings with people. Or right. maybe if you're doing homework, that's when you need to make sure you're at the coffee shop doing that. The same thing if it would be at a different time of day or, or right. at night. I think nighttime is one of the challenging things for a lot of people because you are naturally, uh, you're, you're typically tired. You got to go to sleep. Right. Um, or some people, maybe uh, you have insomnia because of other reasons and or you just struggle to get sleep and then you would use something like this to relax your body. That's, mm. that's other ways. And then the other thing I've noticed, and I think I mentioned this before with just kind of the what you're putting into your eyes and your ears. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that things like playing video games uh, or watching certain TV shows that might not have anything you know sexually explicit, explicit, right. but it might have other things that it's doing to your mind and imagination right. that is stirring up. Maybe it's just stirring up like discontent. Right. Maybe it's stirring up envy and frustration with where you are in life and same thing with you you know so you scroll on Instagram and you see oh they just got engaged mm, yeah. and then you're like so annoyed or this person's making a lot of money and mm. my job sucks yeah. and then you use uh, sexual sin as a way to kind of just as he said act out right um, any other comments along those lines? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, it is interesting that Lewis makes a comment that tea is, right? So even thinking about how certain foods or drinks that lower our inhibitions or maybe um, change how we, we are thinking, yeah. right? Caffeinated beverages. Some people are more sensitive to caffeinated beverages than other people yeah. are. Or alcohol, for yeah. example. And alcohol is a drink that lowers your inhibitions, right? So, um, you know, if you're tempted at night and you're headed towards the evening and you are prolonging, you know, sort of uh, have a second or third drink towards the end of the evening, then you shouldn't be surprised if that lowers your ability to resist temptation when it actually is thrown upon you. The the other thing I was going to say is, um, and you were were, um, alluding to it, is that uh, just just like the fruit of the Spirit comes in clusters, so do the works of the flesh, right? So, um, So we're talking about noticing the other sins that kind of cluster together along with lust. Yeah. So flip that positively. So one way that you can make war against um, lust is by pursuing the fruits of the spirit. Um, even if you're saying, so if you're feeling stuck, like, ah, man, like if only I could have this self-control and this discipline and purity, right? Yeah. Well, pursue the other spiritual gifts. Yeah. Uh, pursue the patience. other. Patience. Yeah. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Do something kind for another person. Yeah. Um, find ways to pursue the other fruits of the spirit. And because uh, just as sin grows in clumps, so do the fruits of the spirit. You're exercising your soul that is 
ultimately the thing that is going to take dominion over the flesh. Yeah, I think about if you think about the wider war being is being proactive, you're going in you're going on the hunt. It reminds me of Romans 1, mm. which a lot of people think of as the passage about, you know, everyone knows God and homosexuality is really bad. Mm. But if you'll notice, the progression there is because they refused to give thanks, God then gives them over to all kinds of sexual debauchery against nature. And so there, you like it's very explicit mm. that gratitude, or in this case, ingratitude, leads to sexual sin. I think that's probably true of all of us. We tend to have this uh, discontent, this frustration, this ingratitude that often, uh, you know, kindles the fire, provides Mm. the the fuel for what ends up becoming, uh, you know, these kinds of sexual sins. Yeah. All right, moving into uh, chapter seven on the deeper war. And so, uh, sorry, what was before wider? It was longer. Okay, so longer, longer yeah. war, wider war. Now we're in the deeper war. Yep. And this, he's focusing primarily on some of the emotional components uh, under lust specifically. So wider, we're looking at other sins. Now we're back zeroing in on mm. lust and on sexual sin. And specifically, he's talking about uh, pornography here and, and mm. masturbation. Okay, what is it? Let's get deep down into this sin. Right. What is it about this that makes it so uh, attractive, mm. alluring, and why does it fill us with sh- so much shame as right. well? Uh, so he says, the deeper war is about untangling the knot of lust itself and uh, and seeing what is hidden Uh, what hidden motives lurk within it. What do you think of chapter seven? Yeah, chapter seven uh, is really good and it gets at some of the, (laughs) it's such a throwaway comment. Chapter seven is really good. You guys are listening to the podcast. (laughs) Thanks, Jacob. Jacob. (laughs) Here, let me give you something better to talk about. Um, The thing about the deep reward that I think is important is it gets back to uh, some of his ties to the early chapters about what is man, yeah. right? Anthropology. Who are we? Um, how um, how did God make us to function? And then particularly, what is it about um, man, man in particular, that how has God wired him? Yeah. And how has God wired woman? And then how has he wired them to come together in a, um, obviously, it, it's not just a sexual union that these differences come to play, but it comes uh, in most powerful, powerfully in their sexual relationship. Yeah. So he talks about the two key facts yep. of the deeper aspect of the trouble. And he says, the is a fact about men and then a fact about sex. Yep. Fact about men is that, he says, this is on page 114, is that we have a deep need to be admired and respected. Right. That's what every man wants. Um, that's the source of all his discontents and envies come from is I want to be on top. I want to be better, faster, stronger, smarter, wealthier, you name it. Yeah. Uh, each of us wants to be a man among men. We want to be respected by those we respect. And then he says, um, and this gets, we can talk about his connection to, to women, but then about sex, as he said, in sexual intimacy, we receive pleasure by giving pleasure. So those are the two basic facts, and then how those play out in the relationship with men and women is another central thing. Yeah, this thing about uh, wanting to be admired and respected. So he's going to say later that all of um, these desires are distorted. So Mm. sin can only pervert and distort good things. So the question is, okay, what is this deep need or desire in me, and what would be the healthy uh, God- ordained place that it's meant to be 
satisfied. And he says, well, ultimately, we have a divine thirst, hunger, longing mm. for God, right? Mm -hmm. Just by being a creature, we have this connection to our creator that's been fractured by sin, and we've been trying to substitute that fellowship that we have with God with all kinds of fellowship with the world. Yeah. And because of that broken relationship, we, we go to these other things. He says, uh, basically, if you feed... Um, uh, in the absence of food, a man will gobble poison. That's a yeah. C.S. Lewis quote from later on. And if you think about the corrupt version of this really is it's a desire to be worshipped. Yeah. Right? This is the the sin of, of Satan, the sin in the garden to have kingship before it's bestowed. You want to be basically worshipped. And when you look at it that way, you think, okay, what is the sin beneath the sin beneath the sin beneath the sin? I think that's one of the like base fundamental distortions. You shall be as gods. Yeah. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. It's like the the sex is just an affirmation of our, as he says, of our masculinity. Right. And um, it's like that is just the the cherry on top. What we really want is the attention. Right. We want the admiration. Mm -hmm. We want people's good opinions of us, and that itself is its own high, its own adrenaline high. And then the sacrament of that worship would be the sex act. And this is what you right. see in uh, Corinthians, uh, the pagan worship. Why is it that sex is this always sacramental act when you're um, trying to get favor from the deity? Yeah. Our bodies, this is all interconnected. Yeah. And this is where he, he talks about, so if... If the fact about men is that they want to be admired, respected, and um, sort of um, seen to be strong, and the fact about sex is that you gain pleasure by, is that right? Gain pleasure by receiving, no, you receive. By giving. Yeah, all right, that's right. You gain by giving, yeah. right? Then what pornography does is it short, uh, short circuits that whole system. Yeah. He says this on the next page, pornography seeks to gain the pleasure of satisfying a woman without actually satisfying a woman. Yeah. So you are short-circuiting the hard work of actually winning and being admirable, yeah. being virtuous, being strong by going on to, you know, whatever it is, the, yeah. the, the porn site. Um, and he, this is, a, I think, a really helpful analogy. He's talking about uh, mirrors for our distorted manhood. Yeah. So we want manhood. We want that. We don't know how to get it or we've been conditioned to do it another way. And so we go to pornography for the, the quick fix to make it all better. Yeah. So he says, yeah, porn also provides the fantasy of having our masculinity affirmed. But, but the truth is that um, when you go to it, deep down, you know that it's a lie. Right? Mm. So this is the problem of self-deception is that you can only spin so many lies mm. till you believe it, right? In, yeah. order, in order to actually enjoy the fantasy, you have to suspend reality, right? right. You have to uh, give yourself over to that, to that fantasy to enjoy it. But then when you come out of it, you come back down to reality. Oh, I'm not that man. Yeah. Right? I don't have that woman. Yeah. Right? And in that sense, you actually realize uh, that makes you feel even worse, like even more um, emasculated, right? You're right. basically emasculating yourself um, in order to feel, uh, you got there to try to feel masculine, but you end up mm. 
getting the, the opposite. And this is one of those crazy cycles that mm-hmm. sin throws you into. Mm-hmm. You think it offers life, but it actually offers death. It, it seems like it's going to affirm your masculinity, but it actually takes it mm. from you. And this is where uh, this week I posted on Facebook uh, and Twitter, help <laughs> me find a good antonym for emasculate. And Do you like mine? Uh, well, I forget what yours was. Mine was masculinate. Yeah, masculine. Yeah, <laughs> or remasculate. Yeah, and actually, I think remasculate is my favorite one. I'll, mm. I'll just read a few of the ones. That, that, so uh, one was invirtuate. Mm. Uh, one was Adam eyes, which might sound a little too close to atomize. A T O M I. Uh, masculate would be kind of the basic version, yeah. of which uh, E negates. But I think the concept of remasculating people. Um, this, this is why I wanted a, a word for it because we know what it is to feel emasculated or to emasculate mm. someone. What, and typically it comes in the form of disrespect, you know, stripping them, uh, treating them like the, the dumb dog kind of yep. thing. And I think one of our jobs as, as mentors, as men, is to figure out how can we re-masculate the men that we are yep. seeking to disciple and – it makes me think of how Joe talked about the kind of covenant earlier where mm. you just make an agreement with with the man that, okay, here's the boundaries, and if you break them, it's on you mm. to bring it up, to confess it. We're not going to use the internet software that automatically sends yeah. something. It, what you're doing there is you're re-masculating that person in the sense that you are giving to them uh, responsibility. Mm. And, and this is what he says. I, th- I think this is a key um, just a really key statement uh, on page. Let me see where it is. Maybe I don't have it underlined here. Um, I'll just I'll just read. I forget, I don't know if I have it highlighted. But he says basically, to be honored is one thing, but to be given responsibility is the true validation of our masculinity. Hmm. Think about that. To be given responsibility is the true validation of our masculinity. And I think this is part of why from the get-go, as we're seeking to help men uh, get freedom, we want to restore as much uh, responsibility to them as possible. That itself is part of this uh, re-masculating purpose that we have uh, for them and that God wants to do, right? He wants to take us from glory to glory, from greater responsibility and passing that test to a harder uh, and heavier responsibility. Mm. Yeah, and and just sort of uh, connecting to the earlier conversation about, what was it, about the distorted manhood. Um, I think this is where the questions asked in the subtler, not the subtler war, um, the (laughs) wider war, I got it confused, the wider war make sense about how your relationships Right? How's your how's your frustra- how is your work? How's your relationship with your wife, your girlfriend? Um, those sorts of things. And, and Joe's going to say in this book here, okay, um, that doesn't excuse your sin, right? That's not a excuse to do it. But you begin to realize why God made us this way, right? And you begin to realize the the what happens when you reject that order. Right? Yeah. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. Um, why, why is that foundational to the marriage agreement? Because without that, on either side, you have created, um, um, what's the word? 
susceptible and yeah. fragile men and yeah. f- susceptible and fragile women. Yeah. A man who uh, is not validated right, in the context of marriage uh, and does not have that strong validation that Joe's going to talk about yeah. um, towards the end of the chapter with God as his father yeah. is going to be looking anywhere and every which way for that validation, whether it's a, a acting out sexually or whether it's you know sort of the corporate ladder, um, sort of doesn't matter who gets in the way, I'm going to plow through to come out on top. Yeah. And similarly with women, if women, if they don't have that, the love, then they are susceptible and fragile to accept anything, to make any sort of compromise sexually, as long as they get that provision, um, that semblance of security. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's really key. And as I'm now raising a, a son who's, you know, not even one years old yet, but I'm, I'm thinking through these things. Like I, um, I like how Doug talks about father hunger, mm. this, this all, this hunger we all have for communion with God for, for yeah. a woman. It tends to come more in the ter- in terms of, uh, admiration, uh, praise, a desire to feel, to feel desired, to feel beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, there's a certain sense in which that's that's similar for man, but but it's different. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we, we crave something different, and so how can I be giving uh, respect even to someone who is uh, my inferior, namely my one-year-old? Right. Yeah. What does it look like for me also to teach my wife to give respect right. and to and to treat our son in such a way that he's going to grow up with a a full tank, right. where my mom and my dad uh, love me, they respect me. And they're the people that I can go to. So when I when I think about raising a son, mm-hmm. I think about all of the possible snares that he could fall into. And so I've been uh, just thinking about, yeah, how can I do this? It's kind of mm-hmm. terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing uh, how easy it is and how uh, constant the temptations can be. And so we want to be figuring out ways of doing that for uh, guys who are age, guys who we are mentoring. How can we put them in circles of men where they will have their masculinity uh, mm. continually affirmed and uh, uh, challenged in healthy ways right. where we're giving them responsibility and then when they are doing it, ful- doing that, we're praising them, yeah. right? We, sh- we need to give those words of, of praise and admiration and as mm. uh, I forget if it's James or Paul who says, outdo one another in showing honor. Yeah, Paul. Do we do Yeah, do we know um, how to do that? And you typically don't think... And that's going to help deal with the sexual sin problem. Yeah. But really, that is. that is Right. Because it's getting at that fundamental craving. And I think it's hard. I wonder if this is, I don't know if it's particularly a reformed problem, but we are so keen, obviously, on original sin and on total depravity. Um, and we are so adverse to the kind of self-help, help, God don't make no junk kind of way of speaking, like, oh, you're, like, you're okay, you know, <laughs> sort of, you know, <laughs> saying peace, peace when there is no peace or, yeah. or lying, right? Yeah. Flattering. At the same time, like, we shouldn't discount the way that this is, we need people. Like, we yeah. need one another. We need to be encouraged, like we need some people to tell us good job yeah. um, because ideally you've had that growing up, but not everybody has. Yeah. Uh, and this is where we serve one another in the body by, by saying, hey, good work on that. Like I just noticed that. I just wanted you to know that was well done. Yeah. Good job. Or 
you know, you know, to your wife or um, I don't know exactly how it works with girls, but yeah. I don't know how they work. <laughs> um, but you know, hey, you look really pretty today. You yeah. look really lovely. Yeah, uh, they never brought, get tired of hearing that, right? Right, and they may say like, oh, yeah, no, stop yeah. it. But of course, they want to hear it, and and that before we think, oh, that's you know, worldly, or that's you're going to puff them up. Should think like that's not <laughs> that's not how the scriptures talk. Yeah, I think. It's helpful to make this distinction. So I want to affirm someone, just not in their sin. So I want to give them the love, the favor, Mm. the smile of God towards them the Mm. way that God does. And so uh, in Christ, God is well pleased with them. And so I want to affirm their identity, as he mentions earlier, their position in Christ being one of God is pleased, mm-hmm. and yet God's great displeasure and discipline against sin. And so we want to, uh, I think oftentimes we don't have both of those. We just have one or the other. You have some people who's just like, God loves you no matter what, you know, you're, you're good, you're, uh, that kind of good vibes thing mm-hmm. versus saying, um, uh, you, are, uh, you are created by God for a glorious purpose and Mm -hmm. mission and there's good works prepared for you and you're affirming the responsibility Mm -hmm. and you're encouraging them that you can do this with God's help. I think those are two very different Mm -hmm. things that we want to learn how to do because in my experience, I've never met a man who is not in need of encouragement, <laughs> right? And right. Wh- and whether that's encouragement from uh, his wife or from his peers, but but particularly encouragement from your superiors. Yeah. And this is where um, if so if it's one thing if some rando person on the street says uh, gives you a compliment. Yeah. It's, it would be another thing if it was a, a king. And you think it would be a completely other thing. It would totally change your life if God said that about you. And yet that is what the gospel is. Uh, I was just, uh, we were reading Psalm 103 at lunch today, and it's uh, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Mm -hmm. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those uh, who fear his name. And so, I mean, that's a lot of love. That's a lot of affirmation in in the best sense. And so we want to be thinking, how can we imitate God's disposition to this man that we're seeking to mm. um, minister? That's mm. kind of the helpful grid for dealing with being hostile towards mm. sin, but kind towards the sinner. Mm. Uh, any closing thoughts on these chapters? That's a really great way to end, I think. like It, it seems like the cheesy, what would Jesus do? But really think about imitating Christ. Like you are... Um, made in God's image. You have the Holy Spirit of Christ in you. You are God's ambassadors to uh, your fellow believer, to the unbelieving world, to be reconciled to God. So it's not a fruitless exercise to say, how would Jesus like be in this room right now? What, how much grace, love, compassion, um, affirmation would he show to this person? And yet, not just your hallmark, your hallmark Jesus, but also the Jesus who called Pharisees whitewashed tombstones. Yeah. Um, uh, at the same time, that focused hostility towards sin. Yeah. So I think that's a really fruitful way to do it. It's like, that's who we want to become more like. And that needs to be our prayer is, Lord, make me like Christ. Make me like Christ in this counseling room so that I can accurately and not um, sort of take one thing 
uh, less serious than the other, as I should. Yeah. Well, with that, Jacob, what should people do this week? Mm. Well, whatever people do this week, Aaron, they should buy face, face, <laughs> <laughs> buy face. Oof, you have to edit that out. They should buy faith, get that wisdom, build that house, rule that big fat belly, and sack dollars to those grandbabies. And stay away from the tea. <laughs> stay, stay away from the tea and, and be gruntled. <laughs>